This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I want to share a story about something one of the elders at my church said to me many years ago. His name was Frank, and he said something that really cut me to the bone and helped me move into the next time in my life. Just the words of a man, just a little sentence that really was a turning point in my life. And before we get to that, I would like to remind you that if you have any questions, uh, you'd like to contact me about anything, feel free to send me a note at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. And I've mentioned this before, but it's been a while. The music that you hear on this podcast was recorded by myself. It comes from an album that I made of music on the open-tuned guitar and the hammer dulcimer. And if you're interested, you can find it on iTunes or wherever you get your music, Spotify, Pandora. And the name of the album is Sanctuary by Michael Cantrell. And I have another album called Invocation. Invocation is all solo hammer dulcimer, instrumental, and Sanctuary is open-tuned guitar and the hammer dulcimer. Again, instrumental. You're not going to hear me singing. You'll just hear me playing. So if you're interested in that, you can go track it down. So, what Frank said. Years ago, I had a sermon series that I did called Breakthrough Insights. And these talks consisted of those moments of clarity, spiritual clarity that were in my life, moments where the Lord grabbed my heart and led me deeper into an understanding of his kingdom, of his character, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. So the story I'm about to tell is really one of those moments of breakthrough insights. It's a moment of revelation that really helped me turn the page, and I want to share it with you. And this is a personal story, how the Lord worked in my life, and I hope it's an encouragement to you And it comes up from time to time when I'm talking to people in various settings, sitting at a coffee shop or a restaurant or visiting someone at home. The very first thing I want to say here is that it's always good to be humbled. It's always good to be humbled. It hurts to be humbled, but it's good to be humbled. I want to say that one more time to drive it home. It is good to be humbled. God opposes the proud. Pride goes before a fall. But God gives grace to the humble. And so when we are humbled, when circumstances humble us, and if we'll embrace that humility, we're setting ourselves up for a renewed dose of grace, a new basketful of grace from the Lord. If we're proud, then we have an opponent, and that opponent is the creator of everything. And we don't want an opponent like that. So it's good to be humbled. It's always good to be humbled. So on with what Frank said to me that day. Before I moved to Russia, I was living in Austin, Texas, and I was the administrator at a small church, independent Bible church. And I had a small business buying and selling old houses. I think I've mentioned that before. And I was one of the teachers at the church. I was not an elder at the church, but I was one of the teachers. 
And I think I'll take a moment to talk about the system that we had then, because I think it's really, really a good system. And perhaps if you're involved in the leadership of a local church, this might help you think afresh about how to have the teaching brought to your fellowship. We had four teachers at our church. The church was elder-led. There was no senior pastor and no lead teaching elder. All the elders were equal to one another and all walked in various gifts that they had. And then there was a teaching team, and that teaching team was four men made up of two elders and two men who were not elders. And we would meet weekly, the four of us. We'd have a meal together, and then we would study through something. Usually it was a book that we went through together as four men that was unrelated to the teaching or the messages that we might bring to the church. It was just for the four of us to have fellowship and build a relationship with one another. And we have that study, as I said, and then we would pray together. And then we would have a time of discernment, discussing the messages that the Lord wanted brought to the church. We would have uh, discussions about what the Lord was laying on our hearts related to where the church was. And then once we had agreement on what the message was to be for the church, then we talked about who would bring that message. And if it was going to be a four or five part message, Perhaps one teacher would take one or two of those, and the others would pick up one or two Sundays. But that was also spiritually discerned. One thing that I really like about that system is that the teaching of the church comes from a group of people who are unified in spirit and committed to discerning what the Lord wants to say. And each of those teachers, as gifted teachers, are good at what they do, And yet, you know, different teachers have different styles, present things in different ways, will choose to emphasize different things. And that helped a lot because the teaching at the church had a wide variety of styles of teaching, which would appeal to different members of the congregation in different ways. Or I think I should probably say it a different way. It doesn't really matter if it appeals to the members, but the message can be received in different ways as they listen to different styles of teaching. So it's really good. I like elder leadership in a church, and I like uh, having multiple teachers, gifted teachers who are helping the church to hear what the Lord has for that fellowship. So I was one of those teachers, and after one of my sermons, I had just finished, and I was stepping down off the podium, and Frank came up. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about Frank. Frank at the time would have been in his 60s, I think, maybe early 70s. He was one of the elders. Frank is a really great guy, really full of grace, very loving, uh, very soft-spoken, but also very powerful. Just really, really good guy, and a great man to have as an elder in a fellowship. And after I spoke, I stepped down, and he came up to me and he said, in front of other people who were there, he said, Mike, what you're saying is true, but I don't think you understand it. (laughs) That really stung That really stung. I mean, here I was, a teacher at the church, and I was in my 30s. I was so full of myself, and I was walking in my gift, and people were telling me that I was a good teacher. And then Frank says, what you're saying is true, but I don't think you understand it. And that really hit me hard, and it was good. Like I said, it's always good to be humbled. And he saw something that I didn't see at the time. Now I do see it quite clearly. Of course, he's talking about the difference between knowing something and understanding something. 
Well, when he said that to me, I started really thinking about that. And I realized that he was right, that the things I was saying were true. And yet deep, deep inside myself, I did not understand them from experience. And I started praying that the Lord would start working in my life in such a way that I would become a man who would not only know things that are true and be able to say things that are true, but to know from experience that they are true and to have a deep understanding of the truth of these things. Boy, that was a turning point. That was a breakthrough in my life when I went from sort of swimming in the shallow water to wanting to be in the deep water and realizing that I needed God's help to do that because I didn't have it within myself. At that time, there were a couple of scriptures from the book of James that had really stood out to me and were challenging in this way. Let me just read those to you, and then I'll talk about them a little bit in the context of this turning point in my life. Uh, Let me do a little aside as we get into reading James, and this may be helpful to you. It was to me. Sometimes people have trouble with the book of James because it seems to bounce around a lot. Lots of different really good sayings, but sometimes they don't seem to tie together or the text will loop around on itself a little bit later. It helps me to think of James as being the New Testament book of Proverbs, bits of wisdom that James presents without really assuming that there's a common thread from sentence to sentence, though there is a common thread throughout the entire letter. And remember, he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. It's not to any particular fellowship. He's writing to Hebrew believers that are spread out, and also the people, the Gentiles that have been grafted into that tree. So when you read through the book of James, try to think of it more like uh, the book of Proverbs. Meaningful, deep, good sayings that are to be taken as they stand alone. So let's jump into James chapter 1. Right at the beginning, there's some things that James wrote that really stood out to me, and I knew that he had written these things from his personal experience. So let's look at a couple of these. He writes, starting in verse 2 of chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, that really stood out to me at that time as something that was very deep and contrary to the way the world thinks about trials and difficulties. James is saying to count it joy, to consider it a really joyful event when we face various trials. So that stood out to me as something. But the next verses, starting in verse 5 through verse 8, were a challenge to me. And this was an example of something that I knew to be true because it's in the Scripture, and yet I did not understand it. Starting in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Well, right at the time that Frank said to me, Mike, what you're saying is true, but I don't think you understand it. This was the scripture I was kind of hung up on. And I wrote in the margin of my Bible at that time, right next to verse 6, 
where it says, When we ask for wisdom, we must believe and not doubt. And I wrote in the margin of my Bible, Impossible. I could not imagine at that time asking God for wisdom and then having no doubt about the fact that he was going to give me wisdom. And so this was an example to me and really led my prayers. I said, well, James lived a life in such a way that he could write this down and know that it was true. But I haven't lived that kind of life. I think it's impossible to ask for wisdom and then just be doubtless, to have no doubt. Because at the time, there was always this question in my mind, what if I'm not hearing right? What if I'm unable to know what the Lord says? What if he doesn't want to answer me? Well, I was like a wave of the sea tossed back and forth. I was unstable, but that's where I was. And this started me on the path to Russia, praying, asking God to make me a man who understands and not just knows. Frank said, what you're saying is true, but you don't understand it. And then I would read what James wrote, and I would say, I know that's true, but I just don't know it from experience, and I'm not at that place. So, Lord, please make me into a person that lives the kind of life that could write such a thing and know that it's true from my experience and that I understand it deeply because I have lived that kind of life. And I'll tell you, when you pray that kind of prayer, God will answer that prayer. If we keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on living a life of faithfulness, he will answer that prayer in the positive. He will do that work in your heart. So don't be afraid to pray those prayers. They're really good, and they are going to lead to humility, being humbled, because we like to think we're grown up and mature, but in the kingdom, there's so much more to learn and so much further to go, so much deeper to go in the Lord. I think this relates to the story I told recently about my meeting the passport control officer in Honduras when he said something to me in Spanish and I didn't understand a word of Spanish. I had no idea what he was saying to me. But if somebody had told me to mouth the syllables, como estas, which means how are you in Spanish, if I'd said those syllables to him when I approached the window, he would have understood me even though I didn't understand what I was saying. And I think I was in that place when I was in my 30s, one of the teaching team. I was saying things that were true. I was speaking God's language, and I knew they were true. I knew they meant something, but I didn't understand it deeply. That deeper understanding that comes from living that life, I think that's common for many of us. And part of a prophetic word is that, is that we can say something that is very true, but we don't really understand it. It's received and understood by the person who hears, for whom the message is meant. And yet, the Lord wants us to abide in him. He wants his life to flow through us. He wants us to share in his divine nature. That's what Peter says, that we can share in God's divine nature through the promises that he's made. He has given us great and precious promises. And the Lord wants us to enter into that abundant life. So here I was, a teacher in the church in Austin, in my 30s. I was saying true things that impacted the people who heard. And as I said, people were telling me that I was a good teacher. But I myself did not understand the language that God was speaking through me. 
I knew what I was saying was true because it was the Word of God, but I didn't understand it from my experience. It was not deep within and flowing out of me. It was like a, like a jacket that I put on, this teaching, or like a costume. And I really wanted to be different. I wanted it to come from deep inside me. And that's when I prayed, Lord, let me live that life, just like James lived a life. Well, I want to loop back to what James said there. As I mentioned, in the margin of my Bible, next to verse 6, when we ask God for wisdom, we must believe and not doubt. I had written impossible. Several years later, after I'd moved to Russia and had quite a bit of experience in Russia, and God had been expanding my ability to bear up under what I thought were impossible situations, I was again in James chapter 1, and I read this section again. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. I had written impossible, and then I wrote, was impossible, now necessary. The Lord had answered my prayer. He had answered that prayer by leading me into circumstances that were very humbling, very difficult, beyond my personal ability to handle them. And the only way that I could handle the life that God had given me was to have his life flowing through me, his power at work in me, not my own power. It was impossible before for me to think that I could ask for God's wisdom and not have any doubt about it. But then, after several years of living through this life God had given me, it was necessary because there were so many times that I needed wisdom. So many difficult circumstances, relationships that were hard to understand, legal situations, spiritual attack, so many times that I needed wisdom and I learned not to doubt. Well, someone may be asking, how do you do that? How do you not doubt? And for me, the breakthrough was I began to realize that my faith had been in my ability to hear, or actually in my inability to understand. I was thinking about myself and thinking, well, I'm weak. I don't know that I have the spiritual maturity to hear what God says. And so I was sort of dependent on my own weakness. And God started teaching me that my faith needed to be in him. Your faith needs to be in the Lord. Where should our faith be? Not in ourselves, not in our weakness, but in God's ability to break through our weakness. God knows how to speak to you so that you'll hear him clearly. He's able to break through the fog of unbelief if we'll just turn our ears to him. So that was the breakthrough for me when I realized that my faith needed to be in him, not in myself, not in my weakness. God can speak clearly. He can speak very clearly if we'll only have ears to hear. One of the comforting parts of this promise here in James is that God gives generously to everyone without finding fault. Let's think about that. If you lack wisdom, ask God, and he gives generously. He's not going to withhold things. He's going to pour out a lavish overflowing of wisdom. And he'll give to anyone who asks him. He gives generously to all. 
So you may feel like you're on the outside looking in, but if you ask the Lord for wisdom, he's going to give it to you generously. And he'll give it without finding fault. God is not going to wait for us to be better or to fix up things before he gives us wisdom. Actually, as I've said before, when we ask for his wisdom and he gives it and we walk in it, we actually live out a life of obedience, then we actually become better. There's less fault in us. He knows that. This is, as I've said, the basic difference between Christianity and all other religions in the world. Other religions teach that we need to live better lives in order to draw close to God. Christianity teaches that we must draw close to God in order to live better lives. Only in him, through faith in him, through his life flowing through us, can we actually become more righteous people. And that's one of the lessons of the Old Covenant, that we just can't keep all of the commandments of God on our own. We must have that new covenant indwelling spirit. So remember this promise. When you ask for wisdom, believe and don't doubt, because God gives generously without finding fault. God is going to answer that for you. He's going to give you what you're asking. Of course, the attitude when we ask must be that we are willing to do whatever he says and to abide in whatever he gives us because he is the Lord. He's the boss. We've got to be very careful not to ask him for wisdom, and then when we receive it, we judge whether or not we really want to be obedient. Remember, the way that we show our love for God is through obedience. If we're not obedient, that's evidence that we don't love him. Well, why is that? Because there's no greater love than you lay your life down for your friend. And when the Lord gives us something to do, gives us a commandment which we must obey, what is obedience other than laying aside our own lives and choosing to live the life that he gives? Obedience is self-denial, almost by definition, I think. Somebody else makes the decision. Somebody else is the head, and we follow so that's why obedience is love for God, because it is our own self-denial for his sake. That's what love is. I'd like to skip down a little bit more here in James just to talk about something. As I was looking at the early parts of chapter 1, we go down just a little bit. Let's start in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. One thing I'll underscore here is that perseverance shows up in verse 4 and also in verse 12. Perseverance is a theme for James, and it should be a theme for us. Human beings want hard times to have an ending, quick ending, so that we can get back to our happy, comfortable life. And yet the walk of a disciple is one of perseverance. The word for faith in the Hebrew and the Greek, is the same as the word for faithfulness. It's the same word. So in those languages, the languages of the scripture, to be a faithful person is to be a person who has faith. In God's kingdom, faith is not a momentary thing. It's not a point in time. Though there is a point when we cross over from death to life, but faith and faithfulness are the same to God. And we need to persevere under trial. Well, that leads me then on to verse 13. 
When being tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I'll just stop there for a second. In the kingdom of God, there's a difference between being tested and being tempted. And here we see it perfectly. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, isn't that something? To James, and also to the writer of Hebrews, and to other New Testament writers, the hardships that we face are actually to be understood as loving discipline or a test that God allows us to have so that we can persevere, build up our spiritual muscle, and receive the gifts that God has for us. In this case, James says we'll receive a crown of life. The writer of Hebrews says that there is a harvest of righteousness and peace if we'll be trained by these tests. But we should not say that God is tempting us because God is not a tempter. So what is the difference between a tester and a tempter? The devil is a tempter. God is a tester. Well, a person who gives a test, the teacher, wants the student to succeed. The teacher wants the student to pass that test. That's the whole reason that there is a test, to put into practice the things that have been taught, the lessons that have been taught. God is a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a good shepherd. He's a leader. The Lord is a good teacher, and he will allow these tests into our lives so that we will persevere through them and pass that test. But God is not a tempter. A tempter wants the person to fail. And that's the difference. God wants people to pass the test. He's on our side. Not only is he rooting for us from a distance, he actually gives us his spirit and his power, his grace, to pass the test, if we will abide in him, if we will put our faith in him and not in our own strength. The world, the devil, our sinful nature, those things will tempt us. So when we are tempted, no one should say that God is tempting us, because God doesn't do that. But God is a tester. He will allow us to be in situations where our faith will be tested. And as we persevere through those times, then there's a good result afterwards. We receive the crown of life or a harvest of righteousness and peace. I know there are people listening right now who are under a tremendous test. Times are hard for you, and you don't really see the way through. You may be confused. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? I thought I'd never go through something like this. Or you may be thinking that it's impossible for you to bear up under this. Let me give you a couple of words that I hope will encourage you. Whatever is going on in your life, God has allowed in your life. Nothing is out from under his control. So if God is allowing this in your life, it means that he trusts you with it. He knows that you can go through this with him and that these hardships you face are a wonderful opportunity to really die to yourself and let go, but not in hopelessness, to die to yourself and live for Christ, to surrender more and more and more 
and to learn what it is just to breathe out and relax when you're under tremendous pressure. I know it hurts. I'm not a health and wealth gospel guy. I don't believe that we should just give empty encouragement to people who are really suffering. Death to self always hurts. Letting go of our expectations for our life, letting go of our comfort, those things hurt. They really do hurt. And yet I remind you that the best is always ahead for followers of Jesus. The best is always ahead as we walk with the Lord. Many of his disciples over the centuries have suffered terrible things. And yet, in the middle of it, God has given special grace. James says, Blessed are you when you persevere under this hardship, because when you get through it, there's a reward up there. It's really good. And remember, Jesus said, Now that you know these things, you're going to be blessed if you do them. So I encourage you, embrace the truth that God is revealing to your heart right now, Surrender your life and let him do whatever he's going to do in your heart through these hardships. And if you're really, really suffering, it's something that God is allowing in your life because he is molding you to be more like Jesus, to be conformed to his character. There's another promise in the book of Hebrews that says, We won't ever be tempted beyond what we can bear. God will always provide a way out. And some people have taken that to sound like we can always find a way out on our own. And there are times in life when we get into situations where there seems to be no way out. But I want to encourage you, if you're in a situation where your faith is being tested and you feel tempted to walk away from God, the Lord is going to give you a way out. There is a way through these things spiritually, to break through these temptations so that you don't give in to them. We need to remember that Jesus is the only human who knows the full power of temptation and sin because he never lost the battle. He always won. He always overcame the temptation and the sin. He alone knows how powerful this is what a strong force temptation is, and he will give us the grace to be victorious over temptation. But it's not in ourselves. It is not of ourselves. It is of him. And if you're in a situation where you're really fighting a tough battle, I encourage you, just let go of your life. Let go. Stop trying to fight it if you're in your own strength and ask him to show you what it is, that your weakness would be an opportunity for his strength to be seen. That's that lesson that Paul learned. I mentioned it last time. He prayed that God would take away this messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh. And the Lord answered his prayer, but didn't do what he asked. The Lord said, well, I'm not going to take that away from you because it's something that keeps you humble because you're learning so many beautiful things. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that leads me all the way back to what I started with. It's always good to be humbled. Paul said that he had these physical problems because God had given him such wonderful revelation 
The Lord also knew that Paul needed to stay humble. Well, we're no different than the people we read about in the scriptures. We're human just as they were. God works in our lives the way that he has worked in the lives of his people for 2,000 years now under the new covenant. The path to overcoming, the path to victory, is one of self-denial, self-abandonment, an embracing of suffering. Remember, we're told to take up our cross daily, and the cross was not a place of death as much as it was a place of dying. It took a long time to die on a cross, and when we take up our cross daily, it's not a quick death very often. It's a place of continual suffering and dying. But that's what Jesus said. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We have to live in obedience. It's always good to be humbled. It's a sign of God's love for us that he allows us to be humbled. So as his followers, let's embrace that. Let's expect it. Let's pray that that humility will become familiar territory so that as we grow in the Lord, there's less fighting against pride and a more quick willingness to accept difficult circumstances so that we can persevere through them. Don't give up hope. Hang in there. Abide in the Lord. Be yourself fully before him. Go to God as you are now. Approach his throne of grace with boldness, and he will give you the wisdom that you ask. He will give you the life that you seek. And there is a good harvest awaiting those who persevere under trial, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those of us who are willingly trained by hardships. Well, until next time, my friends, I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to your heart lead you in his ways because his ways are the good ways and they always lead to rest for our souls. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.